This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. King James Version, Thou shalt not kill. Join me in prayer. Father, we ask your presence in the reading of your word, in the sharing, the teaching of your word, in the hearts of the receivers, that they would uh, be blessed to growth in their life. Father, we also want to pray for the situation in Orlando this morning, Lord. Father, what a tragedy. What a uh, travesty. And Lord, yet it is so representative of the spirit of the age today, the hatred and anger. So Father, we pray for the victims, for the victims' families. Father, we pray that uh, peace may come, Lord, that uh, your healing grace would be there. We ask for your presence there and here, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. I started out in King James because I'm going to go today and into a little bit of my journey with the Ten Commandments, and my journey goes back quite a few decades, uh, not before the King James was written, but <laughs> early on with the King with the King James. Uh, so I'll get back to that. But I, I also asked them to put the scripture up in the New International Version. Uh, and all that says is, you shall not murder. Uh, and the reason I wanted that there is because uh, when you go into the Hebrew, and I won't go, break it all out and go into speaking Hebrew on you here, mainly because I can't. Uh, but the Hebrew word there uh, for murder is a malicious or hateful, with malicious or hateful intentions. So with this commandment, it was directed at the interpersonal relationships of the people of God. He was, as uh, Pastor Tilden had mentioned a few weeks ago, God shares these laws, first of all, saying to them, you are my people, I am your God. And because I am your God, I'm going to give you these. And these were a gift to the people of Israel. But it was particularly talking about the interpersonal relationships of God's people. It was not particularly a, uh, a teaching on war or capital punishment. So we're going to focus on murder as it was presented here. I will say that I think some of the implications to where... The scripture ultimately takes us in our heart have implications for other areas that I, I want you to be sensitive to. So we're going to take, if you will allow me, you're going to take a journey with me. And if you won't allow me, I don't know what you're going to do. But we're going to take a journey with me and my experience with the Ten Commandments. Um, I was raised in the church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, it, so, I, I was born on a Tuesday, and I'll guarantee you I was in church on Sunday. Now, I don't remember it, but I'll bet you I was in my mother's arms in church that Sunday. So, I was raised in a very heavily steeped in church uh, culture. So, for some of you, this culture may seem as distant as any culture in the world. But let me assure you, it happened in California. And uh, it was my experience. Some of this will be relevant to some of you. Some of you will understand. Some of you may... How many of you perhaps were raised in church? 
How many of you? Some of you, it will ring true. Some of my church culture will be very different even if you were raised in church. But I share it because it took me through a series of experiences that led me to certain conclusions that drove me to certain places that I think maybe even if you weren't raised in church, even if you were uh, not churched at all or were raised in a different type of church, you may have come to same, some of those same conclusions, those same places in your life. And not only that, you may be in those places today, and that's, the, that's who I want to speak to, uh, those who may be in, locked in some of those places in their life today. Uh, when I say I was raised in church, like I said, it was uh, a very serious experience. It was uh, being a, pa a pastor's son, there was, there was no getting around it. It was church, church, church. And when we went to church, the church was a building. It, it was a place we went to. And I mention that because we're very careful here at NBCC to uh, remind you that the church is the people. The church is the gathering. Wherever we gather, that's the church. Uh, so it's, I think that's important because it's important that when we think, think of the church and holding something in reverence, we think of people more than buildings. I, I, am, I have no problem with treating a building properly, but when a building gets be treated better than people, something's wrong. So I was raised in a, in, a, in a building called the church, and it was not only called the church, it was called, and if I could go into a deep rumbling voice, I would do it right now, but it, it was called the house of God. And so there was a very special reverence that was given when we, when we gathered at the house of God. We had a minimum of four gatherings a week. Now, it was not four gatherings that you chose between. It was not eight, 10, 12, and two. It was four gatherings a week that I had to go to. At least, I won't go into the other parts of it, but at least for a week. I saw some of you shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. We started on Sunday morning with Sunday school. Sunday school was the time of teaching. It wasn't just for the children. It wasn't separated for, from the gathering like our children's youth ministry is. It was a time for teaching. And so everyone went to Sunday school. After Sunday school, we immediately went into the church for Sunday morning worship, which was worship, singing, and teaching. Now, the reason it was important that we called it Sunday morning was because there was a Sunday evening <laughs> worship and prayer. So, Sunday school, morning worship, hopefully home for lunch. And like I said, I wouldn't go when we started, I became a teenager and I had to go to youth meetings early Sunday afternoon. But then Sunday evening, we had a Sunday evening worship gathering, which was uh, another time of worship, singing, and teaching, prayer, or preaching. Now, that really filled up Sunday, but it didn't really fill up the week. So we had, usually on Wednesday nights, what we called a midweek worship gathering. Anybody? Yes, <laughs> yeah, I know. So on Wednesday, it was a church night. We went for 
more worship, more singing, more preaching. Now, I was, I'm not describing myself, as, I'm talking about as a little kid. So I had school. But school was not as important as getting to the midweek service. If I remember correctly, there was some, I think it was Disney was on on Wednesday night. But I couldn't watch Disney because church happened. So church was, that's the way it went. This was my week, every week, unless we had a revival, and that, then that meant just six or seven nights a week. So in that context of, context of understanding how churched I was, and I'm using that in the small C sense, how much involved in church I was, I want to take you with some of my memories of uh, my journey with the Ten Commandments. Uh, and it really started for me in Sunday school in that early morning teaching portion. And, and I want to say this, I, it really makes me appreciate our children's youth ministry we have here. Because I know the foundations, even though I'm going to show you a wavering path, my foundations were set when I was a child in those classes. I learned the scripture. I was made very aware of this in, the, in that uh, probably about 40 years ago or so, maybe 45 years ago, I, I stopped using the King James Version. I started using the New American Standard Version, just a different translation of the Bible, uh, a more modern one. And, and since then, I've you know, used quite a few different versions. But when somebody asks me to quote a scripture, it almost always comes out in King James. That means I didn't learn it in the last 45 years. I learned it as a child. And it just, it just comes out automatically. So uh, be aware that our children are very influenced by being under the teaching of the gospel. So the Ten Commandments, the first thing I remember in Sunday school was uh, we had multimedia. You, you think this is 60-some years ago. You think I'm kidding? We had cut uh, little paper handouts, and then we had felt boards with felt cutouts that they stuck up there. To me, that's two media. That's multimedia. <laughs> so we had uh, these stories would be told, and now I'm probably talking at something like five years old. I'm, I'm talking about we would go in and we would learn about the Ten Commandments, about Moses and the Ten Commandments. And so the, the image that I have, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this is absolutely accurate. I'm just telling you this is the memory I have. I have a memory of the felt board, and I have a memory of felt figures of tablets of stone uh, being put up there representing the Ten Commandments. And uh, when you're five years old, something written in stone is, that's serious. I, I think it is now, but it, it definitely was serious to me then. And when it was combined with King James English, it was, that was God speaking. So it was, it was very heavy to me that this was, and, and also, and again, I'm not positive this is just true, but my memory is, is that the figure of Moses bringing those commandments, he was frowning. Now, he may have had a big smile, but somehow in my mind, I remember Moses frowning as he, as he brought these uh, laws down to the people. So I was in a church that was also teaching the grace and mercy of God, and I was in a church that was presenting the law 
in a way that developed in me in a fear-based manner. I don't want to point fingers. I'm not trying to blame. I'm just saying this is what happened to me. It seemed to me that uh, fear was the, the way not to be uh, at odds with God. Now, I know the scripture tells us that uh, fear is the beginning of wisdom. But that is a, that's supposed to be a healthy fear, which we'll talk more about. Uh, as Pastor Tilden had, when he started this series, said, these laws and rules have to come out of a relationship with the lawgiver. Or they are fear-based, or what happened to me, they became, they became irrelevant. I began to dismiss them. I had, uh, I had experience with lawgivers. Uh, my lawgiver was called Mom. She was about four foot eleven, and God could not have been more fierce than, than my mother. No, she was a, she was very fair. She would discuss it with me, but she when she laid the law down, you knew, and I knew consistently, which I do appreciate. I knew that she was going to carry out, and when I say carry out. Uh, Probably, there's a possibility that she could be arrested now. <laughs> God rest her soul and my bottom. <laughs> so I, I had this, this picture of God and then I knew that I was kind of always looking over my shoulder to see if mom was going to see because I was always pushing it. I always... If she were here this morning, she would. I always pushed the boundaries. I did it with God. I did it with my mom. But I always did it with this kind of, oh, is she watching? Is she, am I going to get caught? And I quite often did. Uh, but it was that kind of, there kind of came a commingling of this idea of looking over my shoulder and the punishment there. The next stage I came to was confused. It was confusion. The, uh, to me, the authority that was in the Ten Commandments was also given to the church in their rules. And even as a young child, this was perplexing to me that um, the church began presenting to me rules that seemed to have equal weight as though they were the commandments of God. So there were teachings in my church. There was uh, rules like no smoking, no drinking, no dancing, no going to movies, and on and on. I'm sure some of you could fill in that list for me. But that was what it looked like to be a follower. And that was uh, expressed over and over again. So it was, it was very important that I understand these things. It became confusing to me, first of all, because a lot of it was not what I could see was biblical. I knew I had had teaching on the, you know, some of the scriptures that imply, but it wasn't uh, quite that clear to me. But especially when we were not allowed to go to movie theaters and a movie came out that I was allowed to go to. Can anybody guess what the movie that I was allowed to go see was? <laughs> the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that was my first movie. I don't know how old I was, but uh, that was the first time I'd ever been in a movie theater, 
it was spooky. It was, you don't know what God's thinking about you at that moment. Because that, that, that was where confusion started coming. So I began realizing that in this, not only was there some things that the church seemed to be applying to pushing me in that were not biblical, but also that they were on a sliding scale that could kind of move. And that sliding scale did not make me very comfortable. Um, as I said, I challenged everything. So I started challenging God. At uh, some point in my youth, I would say probably more towards early teenage years, I was uh, struck by the weight of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the teaching of Jesus to his disciples. And Jesus, in that Sermon on the Mount, talks about some of the laws. And it was, in a certain way, refreshing to me because when Jesus did it, he took into account the whole person, not just the actions of the person. He took into account the attitudes of the person. So the teachings of Jesus were amazing. Um, but the problem was that they were impressive, but they were also impossible for me. And so they were depressing. That seems contradictory, but I was impressed with the teaching of Jesus, but I was de depressed with what that meant it called me to. Up to that point, Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not kill, or even if you wanted to do another version, thou shalt not, shall not murder, had been pretty easy for me. I had killed no one, had not committed murder. So I was, in my youth, I was cruising along pretty good with that commandment. But then Jesus comes and tells me it's about the attitude of my heart. That was uh, distressing to me. And we'll return to that again when he clarified things for me. But I became very disillusioned with the church. I went to college. I went to a Christian college and became more and more disillusioned. I began to be very upset with the church and the people that called themselves Christians. And I wanted to walk away from it all. I wanted to be honest. That's, I mean, that, in my young idealism, that's what I thought. I want to be honest. But here was my problem, my internal problem. I was doing to the church just what I was accusing the church of. I was angry and full of hate. At one point I told my wife that they were going to hell. And my wife in love said I would be there with them. So she's always spoken very honestly to me. But it was very, it was very true. I, it made me realize that what I was accusing them of is exactly what I was living. I was full of hate and anger towards them. Um, but I didn't know what to do with it. I had tried my whole life to deal with the commandments, with the rules of the church, with all of it. And it just seemed like there was nothing I could do. And as I tried to walk away, and I've got to tell you, I, did, I don't know what it looks like in heaven, but to me on earth, it, 
I was trying to walk away from God. I wanted to leave the church. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I get emotional, but God had a different plan. God loved me so much that even though I was this hateful, angry young man, even though I was speaking foolishness, he who is all wise loved me enough to, con to continue working with me, to continue dealing with me. So, I felt the Lord said to me, and you've got to realize it's, kinda, it's a strange time in my life because at this point, I'm actually doubting whether there is a God. And so I'm talking to God about my doubt in Him. If that isn't psycho, I don't know what is. But I began praying to God that He would reveal Himself to me if He was real. And, and uh, I felt led to read the New Testament. And the best I can express to you is I, I felt uh, that God was with me as I began reading. And He took away kind of the skills and the history and the experiences I had and let me read very fresh who Jesus was, what he taught, and what effect that had on the church and what the church did with that teaching. When I finished, I realized that Jesus is what I wanted to be. His obedience to his father was not fear-based, but was love-based. He was absolutely secure in his unity with the Father. And I desired that so much. So I want to share with you, as we go back into Exodus now, how that transpired in my life and how I think it relates to us today. In Exodus 20, 13, we have to see God's heart for us when he says, you shall not murder. God was trying to protect his people, you and I, from the results of anger and hatred. We have to go no further than the headlines this morning to see what hatred and anger does. Hatred and anger does not perform the righteousness of God. It does not bring about the righteousness of God. So very early, we, you know, we think sometimes there was a transition that God said, thou shalt not murder, and it was all this, just this uh, physical activity of, of murdering that he was concerned with. But in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 4, he made a place for what he called cities of refuge, that if you, there was an accidental killing, you could go to. And he says there, this is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought. So the scripture is telling us that it is the intention and malice that must be in involved to make it murder. And it was hatred and anger that was behind the murder. When we go to the New Testament then, in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 and 22, we go into the Sermon on the Mount and his dealing with it. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. 
and anyone who marries will be subject to judgment. And now he really goes into Deuteronomy here and he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a, uh, basically a form of swearing, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So intention was very, very strong behind it. This is so f far from murder, but it, it, it's something that happened in my life when I was young. I was always getting into things, tinkering and trying to make things better. And uh, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me. So when I was about six years old, he was 11 years old, and he had a bicycle. And he had a bicycle that had a regular size neck on the handlebar. And uh, I saw other guys, other of his friends, who had what we call goosenecks. They had long necks. So in my child mind, I thought, okay, if I unscrew this, pull it out, somehow I can be able, I can give my brother, I ruined his bike. And he was furious. And remember my little mother? <laughs> she was furious. And she began saying to me, why on earth would you do that? It was like I had gone and tried to destroy something of his. And when I began to share with her my motive, what was behind it, she realized I had done wrong, but I hadn't done the wrong that they thought I had. I, I wasn't a, trying to hurt my brother or his bicycle. I was actually trying to improve it. I don't remember what the ultimate punishment was, but I do remember that grace came in because... I had this, this intention. So in, in Matthew, Jesus is saying that the attitude behind it is very important. It is the defining factor of whether it's murder or not. And in 1 John 3.15, it says, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So this drives beyond the act to the attitude of the heart. This means that we can murder a person in body, soul, or spirit. This means that I can murder someone and they don't even know it. This means I need something to replace my anger and my hatred. That's where I found myself, full of anger and hatred towards the church that God loved. So God in His grace gave me a huge leap in my faith. I began, as I read the New Testament, I saw how truly unlovable I am and how absolutely loved I am by God. His love was not just an emotion towards me, it was a changing power. When I began to open my heart to how He loved me, how He forgave me, it began to open up my heart to love and forgive others. It was really rooted in my relationship with my earthly father. My dad was here last time I spoke. Uh, next month he'll be 93. He's still healthy, he's still traveling. That means you guys have got me for a long time. 
My dad was not the disciplinarian in our family. He didn't do the day-to-day. But he dealt with the big issues. And uh, I want to tell you one big issue. My dad was not only my pastor, but when I went and started into high school, uh, he was the principal of my high school. <laughs> and this isn't even part of the story, but when I went into college, he was the dean of men at the college. You know, I was lucky to have him as all those things. I'm not so sure he was lucky to have me there in all those ways. When I first came to the high school that he was principal at, uh, I'm sure I, I, right now I think I must have been absolutely insane, but I think back and I must have been trying to be accepted by everybody because I was the principal's kid. So I decided we would, me and some of my buddies would take a car and ditch campus. We would, it was a closed campus. We would ditch. We would, uh, anybody have an idea what car I had access to? The principal's car. <laughs> so I took... <laughs> oh, yeah, I know you're losing respect, but yeah, I'm telling you the truth. I took the principal's car, and me and my buddies went off to the beach. Our school was near the beach. We came back and you know that I don't know why I didn't think it through that far when you leave <laughs> you've got to come back so I remember driving back on campus small campus small Christian high school and what I remember was my dad standing there and what I remember is the look of disappointment on his face I wish he would have yelled. I wish he'd have got a belt and beat the snot out of me. I wish he'd have done anything but look disappointed. But that was the relationship that I had with him. I did not want to disappoint him. I had done it. He showed it. And it, it hurt me deeply. Now I say that because when... The Heavenly Father drew me into that relationship of love with Him and respect and security that I felt with my earthly father. I was also then, it was not about looking over my shoulder to see if Dad saw me. It was about pleasing my Heavenly Father. I did not want to disappoint Him. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That was the call of the Spirit in my life. I, I, I wish I could give you a uh, more practical terminology for it, but it was, a, it, it was like the Spirit awakened in me, and it was the call of one who had loved me to simply love others. And in so doing, I would fulfill all the law. I would take care of the Ten Commandments. I'd take care of anything that it was concerned to God's heart if I would love the way I was loved. I believe, I don't know what 
your theology is. I, I, you know, I'm not even going to, I just, I believe that I became a believer 62 years ago. I am 67. I believe I was a believer at five years old. But I became a true disciple 45 years ago. There was about 17 years where God dealt with my foolishness, loved me with my rebellion, cared for me through my anger. I believe I was his. I don't think it was a question of was I going to heaven or not. That was the question I was always asking. It wasn't the question my heavenly father was asking. What my heavenly father was concerned with was the depths of my heart and the peace in my heart and the behavior of my life that would proceed from his love. So, 62 years I've been a believer. 45 years, maybe with some years off here or there, I've been a disciple of Jesus. My question for you today, you've, you've heard my ramblings about my past. Some of you relate to some of it, some of you don't. What I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit will have some, you'll have some identity with not maybe the processes that I went through, but some of the conclusions that I came to. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you think he's behind the tree going to whack you. Maybe you're angry with the church. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. But I want to direct you back to the one who has loved you and loved you faithfully through it all. If you are not a believer this morning, that would be my challenge to you. To accept Jesus as your Savior. To be bathed in His love and be able to express His love to others. If you are a believer, my challenge to you is don't wait 17 years to become a follower. Let the Holy Spirit completely drench you in His love. And I think that begins, I know it began for me in seeing how unlovable I was. It was very difficult for me to understand that I needed the grace of God just like anybody else. Why? Because I was raised in the church. I'd been in church more than every Sunday. So I thought I had all the checkpoints I needed, but I didn't. I needed a new heart from God. So my challenge to you then is to Become a disciple, a follower of God. Take the next step. He's calling to you. I don't know where you're at this morning, but he's calling to you. Asking to let his love fill you and flow out. So when we talk about these commandments, what we're talking about is an expression of the Father's heart to us and to others. So you can debate, you can, you can get up and, and say, well, I don't believe that. But the bottom line question is, what are you doing with his love? Have you received and are you giving his love? So I have a challenge for you to consider. Two challenges. Will you say, I am loved by God? Can you honestly say that? Am I loved by God? And consider what that means. Some of you wrestle with that. I counsel with many of you who wrestle with the love of the Father. But I want you to be bathed in his love and know that you're loved by him. And secondly, I want you to consider, I will love as God loved me. 
Are you willing to expend, extend the love and grace that he has shown you to others? We have uh, connection cards. How many of you have connection cards? Come on, come on. All right. There's, uh, if you're not a believer, there's actually a place there. If you're interested in following the Lord and somebody will contact you, or if you're interested in more information, check that. I want you to become a follower of Jesus today. But in response to the message, the box over there that talks about a response, think of this carefully. I just want you to answer the question or put down the response. I will love. I will love. And let the full implications of that rule your life. Amen.